You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can win the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, and on the all-new Himalaya podcast app. Wherever you find podcasts, you'll find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin, and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how. Jason Hershorn is on the show today, America's guest on Locked on Packers. Uh, he it had been you know like four episodes since he hadn't been on, so we, we have to get him on here to preview everything going on with the NFL draft Packers related. We're going to get into our preview shows next week, going draft slot by draft slot with the Packers 12, 30, 44, and 75. So this is going to be an overarching look with Jason about ideology, about uh, players, about position groupings and needs. And hopefully it's going to dovetail you know, what the conversation that we had with Ben Fennell yesterday. If you missed that show, go check it out. I don't want to waste any time because Jason and I have a lot to talk about. So we're going to get to Jason Hershorn right here. You can follow him on Twitter at by underscore JBH, his writing at NFL.com, at AcmePackingCompany.com. He is all over the place, so keep an eye out for all the work that he does. Jason, it had been at least a week since you'd been on Locked on Packers, so we thought it was time to have you back on. Thanks for coming back on Locked on Packers. You know, I have a contract, and appearing on Locked on Packers what, like six times a week? That's the amount of times you do podcasts anyway. So I feel like anytime I'm not invited, it's something I should take personal offense to. Well, that's the way it's intended. I'm glad you got the message. So Fantastic. <laughs> let's dig into the draft because it's not like there there aren't other things we could be talking about. There's no other drama surrounding this team and, and hasn't been all off season. But let's stick to the draft for, for our purposes here. Uh, the Packers are in a unique position, not just for their history, but in the league in that they have two first round picks, three picks in the top 50. If you're just going to set a roadmap here, and I don't even necessarily mean position specific, but if you're just going to create a sort of mindset, a roadmap for the Packers to go into this draft, where, where are you starting that? Well, they don't actually have a lot of agency unless they want to get particularly aggressive within the top 15. It's just going to be how the draft falls to them. And I think whatever becomes that first pick will set the agenda for everything else, including that other first round pick. If, as I know you've discussed in this podcast, Ed Oliver is there. Well, you know, maybe defense wasn't the number one need after free agency, but you cannot pass up on a talent like that, especially at 12. And then with that, it maybe resets where you look for a 30 at 44 and going down the line. I really think that they're going to end up with a high quality player. And there's actually a scenario, and I know you've discussed this as well, where maybe three or four really good players end up 
at the number 12 pick, and they have the ability to trade down, especially if one of those quarterbacks is still on the board. We can get into whether or not any of those quarterbacks are worth drafting in the first round, or at least that part of the first round, but I do think they're in a position of authority with where their picks fall. And, you know, I think that the way that a draft looks in terms of you you mentioned at Oliver, you mentioned that the top players that are potentially going to be there at 12, the value of this draft seems to be between, you know, picks 20 and 50, somewhere in there. And, and there are values at receiver in that range, at safety in that range, players that Green Bay could potentially be interested in. Do you do you see for the Packers where they might say, you know, there is a there is a player, let's say DK Metcalf is there at 12, and they think that he's really good, but they also think that they could get a pretty good player at 30 and another pretty good player at 44. That could change the way that they view taking that player in that position. So are there clusters of players in, in a certain range that you think fit what the Packers could be looking for? Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up receiver. So we've been hearing not just recently that there aren't there isn't a lot of excitement about this receiver class in terms of the first round amongst the NFL teams. That's something that actually probably works to the Packers' advantage, especially mm. if by their 30th pick, maybe only one, possibly two of those wideouts are off the board. Well, 44 is not that far away. You can push that need off if you're if you're viewing it that way and then grab someone further than the line, whether that's, you know, AJ Brown that's fallen, whether maybe because of the injury, Hollywood Brown has fallen out of that range or, or somebody else. There are so many of those second tier receivers that realistically one of those is going to be available at your second round pick and possibly even by your third. So I, I know you've discussed not wanting to spend mid-level capital on receivers if, if you're going to do it go big, but they actually have the opportunity based on the way this draft appears to be forming to both go big at the position and not spend one of their top picks on it. So again, just in terms of that receiving core, it could get a nice piece sometime on day two. Yeah, I think the same thing applies to safeties because there is no top safety really. I mean, there's the, we think there is a top tier of receiver, but it may be the case that there are similar positions in that because there's no surefire blue chip player, it pushes the value of all of them a little bit further down the board. And Green Bay could be sitting there at 30 and and even 44 potentially and have the, the opportunity for them to draft the guy that they think is the best player at the position, which puts them in a particularly advantageous position to add a player of need. Yeah, I think that's true of safety. I also think that's actually true of the offensive line. Like there are definitely guys that are in a tier by themselves. And you've talked about them before, you know, Jonah Williams being maybe the, the best amongst them. There's also, as you and I've discussed privately, a Chris Lindstrom, a bunch of these athletic guys, Andre Dillard as well. But maybe, especially by that 30th pick, you have a good idea of how many are going to go, or how many have gone, certainly, and how many are likely to go between that 30th pick and that 44th. And it's another situation where they could decide they really want to get one of these guys, but they have a good feeling that one of them will be available later on and they can focus on an overall better player, even if it's not at a position of need, which was sort of the value of the way they approach free agency, right? You're able to bring in players that, you know, maybe not worth those contracts, but the plus of it as you enter a draft with so many picks in the top 50 that you can focus more on overall value than need. And you can get sort of the best of both worlds if you do it right. Ted Thompson and Brian Gutekunst, uh, he continued this trend of when there 
is either depth at a position or a future need at the position. These guys were not afraid, and in Brian Gutekind's case, isn't afraid to double up, to pick multiple guys at the same position. We saw last year uh, two cornerbacks and three receivers. In 2014, uh, they they actually had three receivers come off the board. Uh, only one of them turned out to be good, but Devontae Adams turned out to be really good. Is there a position group this year where you can see Green Bay saying, we need to get multiple bodies in here to solidify a spot on the roster? I think the number one position group in, in terms of that discussion is the offensive line because they have holes now, arguably, and they are going to have more in the future. Brian Balaga is not guaranteed to be gone after 2019, but his contract ex- is expiring. He's someone who has dealt with injuries and, and is frankly not the type of player that Green Bay tends to give another contract to. And if he goes, that's going to create a hole somewhere. Even if Billy Turner ends up being the right tackle long term, which is certainly possible, they paid him as though he's a starting right tackle. Well, then there's a hole at guard. Lane Taylor, who I know you and I have different viewpoints on, is at least someone who could be replaced in the near future, even if he plays well in 2019. And above this all is just the depth. You know there are going to be injuries. Right now, Green Bay really doesn't have any proven quality depth. Jason Spriggs has played a fair amount of games, but as you and I have discussed, he has not played particularly well, at least not consistently well. And everyone else is a projection. I mean, Nico Saragusa is someone that they probably liked coming out of that draft a few years ago, but he had a big injury his rookie year that knocked him out for all of that season. And he really just hasn't done anything since. And you're looking at other guys, Lucas Patrick has played a little, has not played consistently well. Justin McCray, we saw him in extended snaps last season and it did not go well. Maybe that was the injury, maybe it isn't, but you have to add talent to that group, especially when you consider this offense. More so than almost any other group, this is a unit that cannot falter. There's going to be so much play action, especially the kind of play action where the quarterback's back is to the defense that you cannot have holes and you have to be able to cover up for holes when they form with injury. And that's why I wouldn't be surprised if one of those first round picks ends up going to an offensive lineman. I wouldn't be surprised if a day two pick went to an offensive lineman. And especially if there's someone there in the later rounds, we've seen this team so many times target players who maybe didn't have the best resume in terms of their pass blocking, but they have the athletic traits that they feel that they can develop. This could be a position group that actually does get three players in this draft. Yeah, I, I the Billy Turner thing, that was something that, that you brought up to me that I hadn't really considered before uh, just because I felt like he was such an obvious choice to be the starting right guard given the players that were already on the roster. But if it is the case that they view him as the, maybe not the solution per se, but the at least over the course of his contract, the right tackle of the near future, it could open the door for a player like Jonah Williams, say, at 12 to come in and be a guard, someone I think can play tackle. But I think, to your point about Lane Taylor, it could also allow them to say, Andre Dillard at 12, we think you can play tackle, obviously, the best pass blocker in the draft, in my opinion. But if Lane Taylor is someone that doesn't fit this scheme, great and isn't under a long-term contract, could come in and be probably a really good left guard as well. That that versatility of Turner seems to have major trickle-down effects for how they can approach this offensive lineman group moving forward, doesn't it? Yeah, and that can even matter in the context of 2019. If we assume Brian Balaga is going to miss time, and history has taught us that that is a pretty— Fair assumption. Yeah, exactly, a fair assumption— Billy Turner is probably the first guy in at right tackle. Now, you and others have discussed that the Packers are not really keen on moving guys around on the offensive line. And that's partially true and that's partially not true. 
they don't like to move players around the offensive line during games, like in the context of an individual game. If Balaga was to go down in, let's just say, the second quarter, I'm not sure they're necessarily going to want to move Turner to right tackle unless they feel like that's their only option. In between games, and certainly in between seasons, that's something they're a lot more comfortable with. If you remember going into the 2013 season, they flipped the entire offensive line. They moved everyone from the right side to the left and vice versa. And that's just something they're more comfortable doing when they have the time to prepare. So with someone like Turner, maybe in an individual game, he stays at whatever position he started at. But between weeks, he's someone who could probably move from right guard to right tackle or wherever else you need him. And then having versatile pieces to fit in those gaps that remain is going to be really important, which is why someone like, and I know you've discussed him as well, Dalton Reisner, who has played center, he's played tackle, and, and probably will be able to play guard in the NFL, makes a lot of sense for them. I don't know what point in the draft. 12 seems very early. 30 seems more realistic, and in the second round and beyond, that, that's a pretty easy call. Someone like Chris Lindstrom, who also has moved around, played guard, played tackle, and can probably play on both sides of the line. Getting pieces like that make a lot of sense, not just for the long-term future of this line, but just for the just in the context of 2019, when you know you're going to have to fill in spots on the fly, and you already have versatile pieces that are going to be moving around. I think there's another position where they could see a double up and that's tight end, depending on how the top of the draft goes and maybe even irrespective of how the top of the draft goes. Tight end is a position that we have seen historically. You can hit on mid to late round, even UDFA types who just have the athletic skill set to make a difference because that that position, even though there is often a slow development process. Once you just getting the traits, especially in Matt LaFleur's offense, we think they should be able to scheme that guy open at times. So, you know, I think that's another position that they could be looking to double up on in terms of the value of that position. If it is the case that they think they can get someone in the fourth or the fifth round, how do you feel about them, say, you know, using the 12th or the 30th or the 44th pick on a player at that position? I agree with you that tight end could be a position that could be doubled up. I think that almost entirely depends on whether they grab one in the first round or, or relatively early within their first three picks, those top 45 picks. If they're able to, say, get TJ Hawkinson at 12, someone who you know maybe tight end isn't usually a good value at 12, even with a premier prospect like Hawkinson, but because of the scheme fit, it does make some sense. Then it would not surprise me if on day three they double up with another tight end. I know you mentioned uh, off-air Foster Moreau, the the legendary 20th century novel character and also LSU tight end. That's someone that makes sense. It's someone with those, as you put it, those projectable traits that you can develop over time because most tight ends, maybe not even Hawkinson, is going to be a premier tight end that first year, maybe not even that second year. But soon thereafter, when he's built up his body more, because remember a lot of these guys are coming in as underclassmen, Hawkinson has only been in college for three years, so he has probably a lot more built-in physical improvement than a lot of these other guys. You you can see these great strides in having multiple tight ends. Because remember, this is an offense that we don't know exactly how much 12 personnel it's going to feature, but we assume it's going to be a fair amount. And long-term, they don't have any of those guys right now. Jimmy Graham is pretty unlikely to be on this roster at the start of 2020, the start, the start of the 2020 season, rather. Uh, Mercedes Lewis may not be on anybody's roster this time next year. So you need to bring in guys now, or at least it makes sense to bring in guys now who can develop into those roles. Because if you're going to have a Y tight end and a U tight end as a big part of your core offense, getting guys who are able to develop into those roles and are able to do so on the cheap makes a lot of sense. All right, we're going to get back to Jason in just a second. But before we do, I want to remind you, 
go subscribe to Locked On NFL. Check out that show and the massive mock draft we did. Uh, it's it's fun, just not from a Packers perspective, but to get the input of hosts from around the country when it comes to the NFL draft. Check out Locked On NFL Draft, and of course, you have to check out Locked On Bucks. Right now, up 2-0. And looking to sweep the Detroit Pistons, head into round two against probably the Celtics, and route to what could be a finals run. So keep it locked on Bucks the same way you'd keep it locked on Packers. One position that I don't think has has received enough attention that, that Green Bay could consider, even consider relatively early, is corner. You can never have too many, number one. And number two, Jair Alexander, for as well as he played as a rookie, was hurt a fair amount. Kevin King, his first two seasons, has been hurt. We don't know what Josh Jackson is. And beyond that, it's maybe Tremont Williams and it's Tony Brown. It's it's a good class if everyone is healthy and develops. And it is a concerning group. If you have injuries, could you see them using you know the 44th or the 75th pick? on a corner just to just to basically keep throwing darts at the board. 44 seems a little early unless someone they really like has fallen, which is not entirely impossible. There seems to be a lot of disagreement on which are the top players in this draft at that position. But I think after those first two rounds, it's definitely something they will seriously consider because it's not just what you get in terms of depth for that secondary. Your backup cornerbacks are going to play major roles on special teams, and we know that's one of the core focuses of LaFleur's staff improving because it's been so bad recently. It was particularly terrible in 2018. So, yeah, a third-round pick is usually not going to be a special teamer, but if it's a cornerback with this particular group, they're going to see time there as gunners and on coverage units. This is going to be important for them. So whether it's the third-round pick, whether it's one of their fourth-round picks, we know they have multiple ones there, I, I do think that's highly likely. And probably something that people should take more seriously than they currently do. Is there a player? So there are a couple needs that I think Green Bay is is focused on. Is there a player at offensive line that you really would like for Green Bay in terms of the value where he's expected to go and what he could bring to this team early on? Well, you set me up for what I think is an obvious answer here. Chris Lindstrom, who is, as you and I have discussed on social media, as I've written for AcmePackingCompany.com, the most Packersy offensive line prospect mm-hmm. in a long, long time. He hits every one of the athletic metrics they care about for a tackle and a guard. He's also someone with extensive starting experience at a high level. He has played he's played Clemson multiple times during his career and played them well, which is I think very important because when you're seeing an NFL caliber defensive line, which Clemson had, and you hold up well, I think that bodes well for your future. And and this is perhaps if not the most important thing, at least one of the most important things, he has experience at tackle and at guard. And we know how much those Packers front office executives care about that level of versatility. So Chris Lindstrom, I think makes the most sense for them as an offensive line prospect. If they get to the end of the first round or with that second round pick, if he's especially if he's there at 44, I would be shocked if they, they do not pick him. At 30, I don't think it's a guarantee simply because they're going to have other viable options, but that would not surprise me either. He's just the kind of prospect that makes sense for their immediate uh, situation and for their long-term future. I mean, he can really be a problem, maybe even if he develops right, an all-pro level guard, an offense that really needs it. Do you have a, a similar feel on a player at safety? I don't really feel great about any of these safeties in terms of being 
early picks. I, more of, I don't feel that there's that much of a difference between the guys that are likely to go in the middle rounds and the guys that are going to go in the top 40 picks. So I think that this is an area the Packers really can wait on to a certain degree. But if they get to that third round and Darnell Savage is there, I don't think that's a very difficult decision because that's someone who makes immediate sense for them in that defense, someone who can be interchangeable with Adrian Amos. And you know with Mike Pettin that those safeties are going to be more interchangeable than they would be in other schemes. And on top of that, someone who I feel like has a pretty long runway of development that his best football is probably three years from now, not one year from now. That I think that's a nice developmental prospect that you can get there that also fills a need. This is a conversation that you and I have have had uh, off air, and I, I think it's it's one that's been difficult for me to to come down on one side or the other. Um, I think I have a lean though, and and I would I guess it was it's a strong lean. So so maybe I'm contradicting myself there. But if Green Bay is sitting there at twelve, and they have a an edge player and an offensive line player that they feel are pretty close in terms of grade. Do you do you feel strongly one way or another which of those players they should pick? In the hypothetical you just described where the evaluations are comparable, I think I would lean the offensive lineman, just given how important that offensive line is to any offense, to be fair, but especially the one that is going to utilize so much play action. And maybe the current unit is going to be able to handle that just fine, but when injuries hit, and some of those backups are going to have to come in. You want someone who is not just going to handle the job, but actually has a fair amount of runway for improvement. Because as we've discussed, there are going to be holes in 2020 and down the line. I think that would make most sense for an offensive line, especially if you can get one of those guys like Jonah Williams, who can be the right tackle of a team long-term and can be a guard for a team long-term and can probably do both of those in 2019. So there has been a weird storyline connected to the Packers draft and and maybe it's connected to some of the trauma I, I joked about earlier uh, but the Packers did bring in Drew Locke uh, for a workout they tried to bring in Daniel Jones and Mike Silver on NFL Network reported that that interest in a quarterback is maybe not real but it is the case that if they felt like the perfect scenario fell to them they would not be averse to taking him but that they were not interested in trading for Josh Rosen. Jason, make some sense of this for me. It's kind of hard to, when you look at the broad strokes, this is not a team presently positioned to spend one of their top assets on a quarterback. It's not just because Aaron Rodgers appears to have a fairly long runway. He's under contract for a fair amount of time. So from the Packers' perspective, they don't have to worry about having Rodgers. This isn't like a year ago when, in theory, they were going to be in the not-too-distant future dealing with the franchise tag. They have Rodgers for certainly the rest of his prime and quite possibly the rest of his career if they want it. So spending a pick right now, knowing that under the current CBA and probably under the new CBA when that eventually appears, that you're not going to get more than four years for the fifth-year option for these first-round picks, anyone you draft right now was going to get paid a lot of money not to play, and then by the time they were ready to play and by the time you needed them to play, we're going to be on a second contract, and that negated a lot of the value. So why were the Packers looking at Drew Locke? Why were they attempting to look at Daniel Jones? And why were they at least evaluating Josh Rosen? And it's not that we have a definitive answer, but I think a possible answer is that these are guys that are trying to do homework on now for if and when they eventually become available after they flame out with their first teams. Because we've seen this organization and other ones do this before. If you go way back to 1999, I understand very different front office, but still 
one that operates in a similar manner to the one that they have now. They looked at Tim Couch. They looked at Achilles Smith. Both guys that they had no hopes of drafting because they both went in the top three, but guys who, when they became available after they flamed out with their first teams, were brought into Green Bay for looks. Now, maybe that doesn't happen with Drew Locke. Maybe he ends up getting drafted by the Broncos, really meshes with that Mick shanahan offense that they're going to have there, and he becomes a starting caliber quarterback. Well, then fine. It was a top 30 visit. You get plenty of those every year. You don't want to throw them away, but it's not a poor use of the resource. But chances are, one of those guys they look at, whether it's this year or if they do this again next year, is going to eventually be available. And even if they're not guys that they're planning on drafting as rookies, they're guys they could potentially bring in later on, whether as backups, whether they're guys that they they feel like they can sort of resurrect. doesn't happen very often in the NFL, but we have seen it happen at times. It, there's also the the possibility that a team, you know, even though they're, they're going to be on rookie contracts, Brock Osweiler, he got traded and they had to give up picks to move him. It could be the case that that Green Bay sees a potential opportunity down the line that, that a team could get impatient and move on. It, it does seem weird, though, if you could just have Josh Rosen for, you know, a second or even a third round pick, if that's the case. Wouldn't you much rather have that than Drew Locke or Daniel Jones at 30? It, it's a really easy call, at, le- at least for me. Now, Josh Rosen was someone I liked a lot coming out of the draft, and, and maybe the Packers did not, or maybe certain teams did not, and that, that's fine. He was certainly not a can't-miss prospect. But if you're looking at it from the perspective of none of these guys are going to give your team much value on their rookie deals, if you're just essentially crossing that part of their careers off, well, then getting a guy like Josh Rosen at a day-two value is a lot better than getting someone like Drew Locke or someone like Daniel Jones in in the first round. Even if you view Rosen as a lesser prospect, and again, I I do not. I think Rosen was a very good first-round value for the Cardinals when they got him, even trading up, and I don't feel that way about almost any of these quarterbacks in 2019. But even if you view them as just semi-comparable, the difference in compensation is going to make all the difference because if they're going to start for you eventually and it's going to be on a veteran contract, it doesn't matter where you draft them. It matters how much you paid to get them. And even a second round pick is a much, much better price than a first rounder. I'm with you. And if I'm one of these teams in the first round that's thinking about Drew Locke or Daniel Jones or maybe even Dwayne Haskins, I'm, I'm, I'll trade you my first round pick. If my first round pick has to go to, to Daniel Jones or Drew Locke to get that guy, if I'm genuinely considering doing that, I know neither you nor I think these quarterbacks are very good. I'd much rather use that pick basically on Josh Rosen than on Locke or Jones and maybe even on Haskins. Uh, obviously the Arizona, it seems like has made their choice, but if I'm the giants or I'm, you know, even the Bengals, a team like that, I, I'm going to use my pick and, and go get that quarterback. I feel differently about Josh Rosen than a lot of people do. And that's fine. Yeah. And there is a little bit of a difference in that Josh Rosen has already lost one of those years on his rookie contract. But if that's a drop between say, I mean, I don't think the Packers are going to do this, but let's just say for sake of argument, they were interested. The difference between the 30th pick and the 44th pick, that's worth it. You still have that fifth year option, which is not going to be cheap because he was a top 10 pick, but it's still much cheaper than his value is going to be later on. And it's someone who I feel like has as much developable talent as any quarterback in this draft. Obviously, the Cardinals, or at least it appears the Cardinals feel differently about it, and that's fine. Maybe that's just a schematic misfit in their eyes. But Josh Rosen has so many of those traits that are hard to find in quarterbacks. He's very, very young. Remember, he came out of UCLA a year early. 
and he played with the worst collection of offensive talent and, and offensive coaches in the league. I think there's a lot of built-in improvement there, even if you weren't a big fan of Josh Rosen. And then if you really believe in your offensive infrastructure, not just the offensive line, not just the receivers, not just the running backs, but the coaching staff, I think that that's someone who can develop for you. So yeah, the Packers are not going to do this according to reports, but I don't think it's a terrible day. If they, if they were going to spend a first round pick on a quarterback, or at least considering it, then spend a day two pick on Josh Rosen. I don't think that's a hard call. I don't, I don't think it's a hard call either. Jason, uh, also not a hard call following you on Twitter, reading the work that you do. Where can, where can my listeners find all the work that you do? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at by underscore JBH. I write for SB nation. I write for NFL.com and Right before the start of the 2019 NFL draft, I believe the Tuesday before the draft, I'm going to be doing an AMA on Reddit, on the Packers Reddit. So if you want to ask me questions or if you just want to, you know, just dive into draft stuff one last time before we actually get picks, that's the place to be. That sounds great. You should definitely check that out. I know that there are a lot of Packers Redditors that listen to the podcast. So check Jason out on Reddit. Jason, thank you for coming back on Locked on Packers. Boom. All right, I want to thank Jason again for joining the program. I will get him on again before long, I am sure. Remember, our preview shows next week, the 12th pick preview coming on Monday, then the 30th, then the 44th, and then the 75th pick. Thursday night after the draft, we're going to have an instant reaction podcast. So as soon as the picks are made, we'll, uh, we'll get that show up ASAP after the round ends. And then Friday, same deal. So that show... Uh, probably going to have six shows next week because there's just going to be so much to get to from the preview to the reaction shots. And then the following Monday, we'll bring it all back and and get into the day three picks. And we'll, we'll do the same thing we did last year with the, the draft pick individual shows. Get someone who covered the team or who knows this player in depth and try to give you the best picture we can early snapshot of what the role of that player could be on this team based on who they were in college, what type of player they are, what type of person they are, all of the details that you're going to need. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Around the same time you're following Jason, make sure you're following me as well. Make sure you're following Locked On Packers on Twitter. Make sure you're following Locked On NFL on Twitter. A ton of great content coming out of those social media accounts. We're on Instagram. Check out Locked On NFL on Instagram as well. Fun uh, snippets, audio clips from around the league. Really fun stuff there as well. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, Google Play, the Himalaya podcast app. Check that out uh, because if you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode. We are every day, which means there's a lot of content. You will never miss any of it if you subscribe. If you rate the show, that doesn't help you not miss episodes, but it helps us and it'll make you feel better. You did a good thing. Uh, Like the podcast on Facebook, and any time you want to hit us up on the Lockdown Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775. Save it in your phone, send us a text, shoot us a voicemail, anything to let me know and everyone know how you are staying Lockdown Packers. <laughs>